Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back up here. It's a good Sunday. It's warmer weather. It's getting nicer. A baptism today. It's it's a good it's a good day. And uh, I think I say this a lot, but I just want to first mention once again how much I love my campus ministry. You guys are great. Uh, this past Friday we played ultimate frisbee with the CSUN ministry, and I think we uh, I think we held our own. You know, uh, CJ has a good arm. That was pretty good. So the band was out there making moves as well, and so. Then we did all right, and then afterwards we had in that, and we just had a great time and having that baptism later on in the beach. Actually, no one want to get baptized at the beach, so we go over there. He want to live up to his name and be know and all. And so, but I just really enjoy serving this group. I think these great group of young men and women are just amazing people. And so, guys, thanks for letting us be your ministers. It's been a good time. Love you guys. So, speaking of amazing, though, I want today to talk about. How to Amaze Jesus. And that's going to be the title of the lesson today. Because if you did not know, there was twice in the Gospels where Jesus said that people amazed him by their actions. And so we have the ability to amaze Christ. And one was in a positive way, and one was in a negative way. So I want to share about both of them, and hopefully we can be the people that amaze Jesus in a positive way. Amen? Awesome. So let's go to Luke chapter 7. Start off here pretty soon. So Luke said, we're going to talk about a centurion, a Roman centurion. For those who don't know, a centurion is an officer of the Roman army, usually in charge of about 100 soldiers. So important, wealthy, powerful. And at this time, the Roman soldiers were known for not necessarily getting along with the Jews all that great. They uh, sometimes were hostile, sometimes mean, sometimes would take advantage of the Jews because they were the dictators, they were over the Jews at this time. And actually, um, the whole phrase, go an extra mile, that comes from Roman soldier-Jew conflict relations because this came from during a time where they had a law that said the Roman soldiers could force the Jew to carry their equipment, their heavy equipment, up to a mile. And so Jesus up the ante said, you know, you guys impress the Romans, go an extra mile. And that's where we get the phrase, go go an extra mile. So there you go. So that just shows that the Romans and Jews at this time had some bad connections and the soldiers often were seen as mean and barbaric. So that's who this, and this centurion is like a head honcho soldier. So that's what we would probably expect as we read the story. But let's see the type of character of this specific centurion. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to to him, asking him to come and heal his servants. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So we, we learn some key things about the centurion. Right off the bat, he has a servant. He probably has many servants because he's wealthy and powerful. But one servant he has is pretty sick, maybe close to death. And the centurion cares deeply about his servants. That's interesting. That shows he has love for the people that serve him. That's um, admirable, for sure. And then also shows that he believes in Jesus. Maybe not to the full extent that he's a son of God, but he at least believes in Jesus enough to say, hey, this guy might be able to heal my servants. And so he sent some Jewish elders to go talk to Jesus. And at first, it could be like, wow, Jewish elders, or even this guy is really powerful and has a lot of authority. 
Or maybe he's actually friends with the elders and they're doing him a favor. And you read on and it's, it's true. He's friends with them. The Jewish elders like this Roman centurion. They say he loves their nation and he even built a synagogue. Wow. He's got some money and he's using it to help those less fortunate than him. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So I think we all like this centurion right now. A good guy. Yeah. I think we like him. So let's see how Jesus responds to him. So going to verse 6. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this passage in this part is key to understanding Jesus' reaction to him. So I want to make sure we all get it, because it can be a little convoluted. But let's kind of dissect this. So he starts off saying, he sent some of his friends, Hey, Jesus, don't walk any further. Don't bother yourself. No, you're a busy guy, walks many miles. Just stop right there. There's no need for you to go any further. Also, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm not righteous enough to meet you. I'm not worthy to have you come underneath my house. I'm not even worthy enough to meet you face to face. So, man, he's not only a guy who loves people around, he's also incredibly humble. He commands over 100 soldiers, and he doesn't think he's worthy enough to meet Jesus. So he tells his friends, go tell Jesus, stop. No need to go this far. I'm not worthy. And the next part is amazing. He says, Jesus, because I know what you're all about. I'm like you. I have authority. I have power. I say, do this, and it gets done. You have authority. You have power. You say the word, it gets done. So Jesus, just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. Guys, that's incredible faith. He never met Jesus, and Jesus never met his servants. It's crazy. Let's read how Jesus responds to this. So, verse 9. When Jesus heard this, so, sorry, missed that part. So the centurion basically believed that Jesus could heal from afar. And that's very different from any other healing account we have in the Bible. Everyone else believed that, oh, if I see Jesus, if I touch him, if I get close to him, then he can heal me. But this centurion is the only person who believed that Jesus can heal from a far distance. Don't even have to touch him. God, that should say something to us. We can't physically see Jesus. We have a lot to learn from the centurion's faith. So, verse 9, Jesus responds. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turned to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men he sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So the centurion was right. Jesus was amazed by his faith. And boom. The servant was healed. And his faith that said it would be done, it was done. And I think Jesus was so amazed because he found someone who, who he thought fully recognized his power more so than anyone before him. And that's how we amaze Jesus in a positive way, church, is when we recognize how incredibly powerful he is. We amaze Jesus when our faith recognizes his power. 
Not only is that how we amaze him, I think that's probably also just how we encourage him. I think Jesus is encouraged when we think he's hot stuff, when he thinks that he's got it going on, when we think that he has the power to do all that we can imagine, and then some. Not only him, we're really encouraged when people believe in our potential. Like, it really encourages us when, we, when people think that we can achieve things, right? I know for me, I, I'm encouraged when people think that I can do something, it's, it encourages me. Whether or not I can do it, it's still like, oh, that's, that's nice you think so highly of me, you know? Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, the guys were at Kevin Revelo's uh, house. Uh, after his restoration, we, we uh, came over and we were, he had, his dad has a weight room in the garage. We were checking out the weights and... Uh, one of the students, Carlos, was like, oh, Jake, you could probably lift all the weights here, right? Like, put them all on one bar, you could probably lift it. And I'm like, I'm doing the math. I'm like, no, probably not, not in college anymore. But, dude, it's nice that you think that about me, man. That's, that's encouraging. That encouraged me, guys. I think this is honestly probably one of the best qualities of my wife. My wife believes in me so much. When we started dating over four years ago, we... Uh, we had this thing we said that we want to be each other's biggest fans. And, babe, you do an incredible job being my fan. And you encourage me to be better. And just it's, it's encouraging when people think you can do something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And when they talk you up, they believe you got it. You got it covered. You had this situation handled. How often do we talk up God? How often do we talk about the power of Christ and what he can do? what he has done, what he can do in the future. You know, we, we say that we believe he's the creator of the universe. And we say we believe in the resurrection. And we say we believe in the end of times. But how, do we still believe in that earth-shattering power can still happen here on earth? And things can still happen just like that. I think so often we're so quick to talk about how amazing our favorite movie, show, team, sport, hobby I feel like almost once a week I get someone telling me about the latest new app that they love. And if I download this on my phone, it will totally transform my life. When it's like, Jesus literally is the one thing that totally can transform our lives. And renews it and refreshes it on a daily basis. But how often do we talk about Him? And what He can do in our lives? You know, I think one of the greatest things about this story of the centurion was he didn't just keep his faith to himself. He didn't just believe internally, I believe Jesus can heal my servants. He told people. And he communicated his message to others who then communicated his message to Jesus. He told the Jewish elders, hey, get me this Jesus guy. Why? Why, centurion? Well, because he can heal my servants, so go get him. And then he told his friends, wait, guys, stop him. Why? I thought you wanted him to go heal your servant. No, it's fine. I think he can heal him from right there. So go tell Jesus that's what I think. He passed on his faith to others, and they believed as so. He talked about Jesus like he was a new latest app. And then, and then some, of course. And that's why Jesus was so incredibly encouraged and so amazed by his faith. Because not only did he believe that Jesus was amazing, he talked about how amazing he was. And therefore, Jesus was amazed at his faith and Jesus' incomparable power. That's the positive way when we talk about Jesus, when we totally, we really believe that Jesus has the power to do the things we ask for. Let's talk about the negative way. The negative way Jesus can be amazed by us. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. So Mark chapter 6, talk about Jesus being amazed in a more negative fashion. So, starting in verse 1. 
So Mark 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So, typical town, typical thing, what always happens. But then, later on in verse 3, where did this man get these things, he asked. What's the wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Mm. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He cannot do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So, very different story. It starts off the same as every story in the Bible. Jesus comes to town and makes stuff happen. He preaches, he heals, and draws a crowd. But eventually, it goes south. Because he's at his hometown. And people feel like they know him. And they start calling him out. Oh, isn't he the carpenter? Yeah, he made my dining table. Isn't that, you know, Mary's son? Wasn't he my neighbor? Doesn't his brothers play with my kids? And they let what they thought their knowledge of Jesus, their familiarity with him, limits what they thought Jesus can do. Limit his power. And Jesus was amazed in an incredibly negative way at their lack of faith. And probably also discouraged and probably also insulted. And we amaze Jesus when our faith limits his power. But this is the negative amazing Jesus. But we doubt that he's capable of doing things. Jesus is just as amazed, but in a wrong direction. Because just as encouraging it is when people believe in you, and they think you can do something, it's just as discouraging, if not even more so, when they doubt you. Especially if the thing they doubt you in is like your expertise. You know? Some things that people doubt you, it's like, oh, it's not a big deal. I did it once, not, no harm, no foul. This is not what my life's about. You know, one of the interesting, interesting things I tell my students sometimes is that I have once in my life made a wedding cake. And why? Because in high school I had an art project and I can't paint, can't draw. I could barely write well. So, but I like food. And so wedding cake, boom. That's what I thought. And so me and my friend Jake, who also couldn't draw, paint, or any of that stuff, we, we chose to make a wedding cake with the help with the help of my mom a little bit she probably did like maybe 10% of the work we did most of the full 90 and this is what it looked like pretty good right pretty impressive and it was delicious too white cake raspberry filling and we got an A for sure so it was was a good cake but I tell this to people and people doubt me right away And, and that's fine I don't really think I can duplicate this again. This is a fine, rare moment. I think a, a spark of genius there. And also the help of my mom helped a lot as far as setting the foundation and getting the ball rolling. But I did most of the little, little decorations there. That was, that was me and my friend. So, the little tube thing there. So, but if you doubt that I've done this, it doesn't affect me too much. I'm not a baker, that's not my expertise. It's not going to hurt me too much if you think that I'm limited to baking cookies but not wedding cakes. That's, that's fine. 
not a big deal. But I am a, a, a college minister, and so if you doubt that I have knowledge of the Bible, that's going to hurt a little more. I'm also an ex-college football player, so if you doubt that I know how to play the game of football, that's going to that's gonna hurt a little more. Jesus' expertise was in healing people. That's all he did. In the chapter prior, he, he's already healed people of serious illnesses like being paralyzed, leopards, he healed a leprosy, he's driven out demons, he's already calmed the storm. And later on this chapter, he's going to walk on water and feed 5,000. Jesus' power is infinite. But this town's doubting his very own expertise of what he is known to be doing and known, known to do. And that's got to insult him. And the reason why, again, is because the town feels like they know him. They're familiar with his work. Jesus, you can make tables, you can't heal people. And that limited his power in that town because of their lack of faith. And I think in the same way, our past and our knowledge and our familiarity with Jesus can limit what, he, what we think he can do. And we kind of limit it to what he's already done in our life. You know? We think that, oh yeah, he can do some of my prayers he can answer. He can change some people's hearts. The ones that are like mine. The ones that are easy to change. is how we can feel sometimes. And we let our walk as Christians, especially the older we get, continue to limit his power based on what he's already done in our lives. Instead of believing that, no, this is a man who can do incredibly more than we can ever ask for or imagine. You know? And we still hear the stories, but it can seem like those are things of old. And not applicable today. We can do that even within our own peers. Once we get to know someone, the mirage of maybe what they can do fades a little bit. I have a good example of that. There is a, um, when I got to New York, I went to New York for school, and there was a member of the church who, uh, his dad was like the grandmaster of Taekwondo. Like he's, I think, never lost a match in over 200 matches. And incredibly, like he has a Wikipedia page, his name is. I can't say it that great. So, the son's name is John Park, so I'm not going to try to butcher it. So, it's, <laughs> so his son is John Park, but he's not just like, he's like a step below his dad. His dad's ninth degree black belts, trained the Olympic team in Taekwondo. His son is eighth degree black belts, so he's right up there. So, my campus minister, Nelson, was telling me about how we have this absolute beast in the church who, and he told me some stories of what he did before he became a Christian, how he used to beat up gangs, he would jump him and, you know, beat up dozens of guys and come out unscathed, just how, so I'm thinking, wow, we have Bruce Lee in the church somewhere, so I'm like, <laughs> so I want to meet this guy, because this is a pretty impressive dude, it's cool he's a Christian, because uh, he might beat me up, so I was excited to meet him, and I met him, and, and the mirage kind of faded, because he did not look like Bruce Lee, he looked like this guy, <laughs> a very happy Korean man, <laughs> Very jolly, older, slightly overweight. You know, uh, he also has some, has some, has some kids. And I'm like, this, this is not the guy. This, this isn't it. And uh, like he would ask us to do things here and there. And um, well, it's just not the guy. He's out there, out there picking. This is not the guy that I have in mind. And and the more I got to know him, the more and more I believed that he wasn't this powerful. Like I could take him. You know. <laughs> So, like, there was one time he asked me to help, so me and the campus guys, to help him move. And 
he did not lift one heavy thing over 20 pounds. Like he just, like, oh, my back's hurting. You guys, young guys, you got it. I'm like, okay, you, you can't take me anymore. You, this, maybe 20 years ago, possibly, but you're now over 40. You, you, you've lost it. And those stories that my campus minister told me remain just stories. I didn't believe he still had it in him now to do the things that he was, that he, that I, I was told he can do. You guys getting where I'm going here? So, so basically there was a men's day where we had, after the lesson, it was in a dojo. So after the lesson, uh, John Murkowski, the minister there, had John Park teach us how to, you know, punch, how to kick, how to break blocks of wood. It was pretty cool. And so John was, John Park was trying to show us the correct mechanism of how to punch. And it was, it was, I learned a lot that day, just how if you twist your, your wrist quick enough, it really propels the, the force. And so he wanted to show that on a live human being. And so he chose me because I was uh, one of the bigger guys there. So he said, I'm going to go about, don't worry, I'm going to go about 20% here, Jake. So 20%. He wanted to show the difference between punching like this and punching like, like this. And so he punched me like this, and it was fine, it was a jab. But then he twisted his, his wrist. And guys, he rocked me. <laughs> like, it was so quick, so fast. I'm like, John, that was 20%, wow. And then he was telling that I was hurting a little bit. So we asked, I, had my, I brought my roommate, like a 300-pound gorilla. So I brought him out. He also was on the football team. So Jake, you're good. I'm hurting you. I want to get your roommate out here. So he brought my roommate in instead. And a 300-pound gorilla named Nico, who squats 700 pounds, John also rocked him. <laughs> Going 20%. I was like, wow, this guy can kill me. <laughs> But in my head, I let my, he's a nice guy, fun, always smiles, my, my familiarity with him cloud my judgment. This guy is a trained martial artist, eight degree black belts, who can really hit really hard. <laughs> and because I think in the same way as we walk through Jesus, we walk with God day in, day out, we can forget who we're walking with. And we could limit his power, and that's insulting to Christ. And he is amazed in a negative way by how much we put him in a box. And we don't want to do that. That's his uh, granddad, by the way. So. And I think this is a key point from here, guys. Our faith doesn't take away God's power, but it largely determines how much we see it. And so... Like I said earlier, in that same chapter, Jesus didn't just totally no longer have power. He only could heal a few sick people in that town, but later on in that same chapter, he fed the 5,000. He walked on water. So Jesus is still very powerful, but because of that town's lack of faith, they couldn't see it. So it's not like we ship God of all his power when we don't believe in him. We just don't get to experience it for ourselves. We don't call them out and ask God to do measuring more. So guys, what about us? On these two sides of the coin, where do we normally fall? We amaze Jesus both when we recognize his power and when we limit it. Where do you normally fall? Are you amazing Jesus by your great faith in him and what he can do for your life? Or are you amazing him by saying that I think you can only do X, Y, and Z? And I think a great way to determine where you're at is evaluating your prayer life. How is your prayer life? Is it just a bunch of kind of check, check off a checklist, just kind of a going through the daily itinerary? 
of what the week has plans, I feel like sometimes I just pray through my schedule with God. Like, God, help this appointment to go well, and this appointment, and this appointment, and this day, and next week, and help me preach well. I think I'm just going through my itinerary. Instead of asking God to do something amazing. And I think that's a reflection that I sometimes forget who I'm talking to and how incredibly powerful he is. And what saying in Jesus' name really means when I pray. Let's go to John 14 because some of us don't don't know this passage. John 14, verse 12. This is where we get the whole in Jesus' name prayer. So John 14, verse 12. Jesus says to his disciples... Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Right there. I will do whatever you ask in my name. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This phrase is meant to be a catalyst for our message to get directly to God. To be hand-delivered, this message is important. Because this man, this woman, asked for it in my name. That's what it means when we say, in Jesus' name, amen. But so often, we don't, we don't think about that. We don't really believe that. We just say it just because it's just what we're used to saying. And Jesus doesn't just want us to ask for regular whatever things in his name, he's asking us to ask for greater things in his name. That we can do greater things that he did here on this earth. I thank God that the early disciples, the apostles, the first century Christians, they took up Jesus' bargain here. Because if they had the faith that we can only do what Jesus did here on earth, we would not be here today. Because in Jesus' ministry, he gained about a couple hundred followers. That was it. So if the first church only thought they can do, that the power of Christ can only do what he did before, we wouldn't be around. The church in Acts would have grown to a couple hundred. People would have fallen away. And they would have all died off. There would be no Bible. We wouldn't be here. But the apostles said, oh no, Jesus did greater things. Man, the power of Christ hasn't even been tapped yet. We can do so much more. And they preached to the ends of the earth and thousands if not millions were converted to Christ because of his power. They did not limit what Jesus can do. Right. I, I got to imagine their prayers are just like everything. God, can I fly? God, can I, you know, can I always walk on water? Just, their prayers are probably incredible. And we know that God doesn't answer every single thing that we pray for. But just because he won't doesn't mean he can't. You know, this reminds me of one of my favorite things to do. As mentioned before, I like food. So growing up as a kid, one of my favorite things to do with my mom was to go help her grocery shop. Because I got some extra stuff. (laughs) Usually. But sometimes, I did this probably once a week, sometimes I would get a no. I would not get that candy bar I asked for. But never in my mind did I think that, man, I guess my mom can't afford that candy bar. I guess I would have broke the bank. She she just can't do it. I never thought that. I could do math. I realized that we're bringing a full cart of fruits, veggies, a $20 salmon. We're putting a lot of stuff in there. She can afford a $1 candy bar. 
I understood that in my head. I just knew that it's just not right now. And a lot of times that had more to do with me than the candy. I was not being a good kid, so it, it, it made sense. But God, for some reason, we can do that with God. We can think that, man, maybe God just can't. Not that he won't. As a little kid, I never got deterred by my mom saying no. Next week, I came with a plan. I was going to be a good kid. I, came, I started learning that if I ask for something in every single aisle, I'm bound to get something. So I didn't just ask for candy. I would ask for, okay, mom, how about a fruit snack? How about a donut? How about ice cream? I learned if I keep on asking, I'm going to get something here. Church, why don't we keep on asking God for what we want? We ask for things, and God just say, not right now. Maybe fix your character, maybe later. And we all since start thinking that maybe he just can't anymore. God can pay the bill. God can do what we want. God can achieve. And just because God won't doesn't mean he can't ever. Just because God won't right now doesn't mean he can't ever. God can't answer our prayers. He wants to do immeasurably more. Are we recognizing the power of Christ or do we limit it? You know, I'm wrapping up pretty soon. I'm very excited about going to the baptism of Noah pretty soon, and that's yeah. going to be exciting. And I think that I was encouraged studying the Bible of Noah because I was once reminded about how strong and how powerful the power of Christ is. Because I saw it transform this man. He came in with a lot of stuff, as we all do, a lot of baggage, as we all do. And as many times, I can be faithless as a minister, and I, most guys study the Bible with, I'm like, huh, I don't know about this guy. I'm not sure. But then we study out the cross, and it's transformative. Yeah. Yeah. And it especially hit Noah. He uh, asked for the Passion movie. He watched it twice, like in the same day. It was crazy. He just loved what the cross meant to him, yeah. and it transformed him. And I need to stop doubting the power of the cross and the power of Christ. It can transform anyone and everyone. And I need to stop doubting the power of prayer. God can do anything. I might not be able to fly, but God can do anything I ask for. It's only a matter of time before he starts giving out some more yeses. I just need to keep on asking aisle after aisle. So in closing, church, our faith does affect Christ. The centurion believed in him, and that spurred on one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. His hometown did not believe in him, and Jesus cannot do much there as a result. I personally don't want to be the guy whose lack of faith doesn't allow God to do something in my life. I hope that we as a church decide not to be the church that allows our lack of faith to not allow God to work in our fellowship. I know Jesus won't do everything, but I know he can do anything. Churches keep on praying. Let's amaze Christ with our faith and call on his immeasurable power because he has a lot of power and he can do all things as Noah said earlier. Um, we're going to pray and then the song team's going to come up with one last song. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for bringing us here together to worship you, to learn more about you and to learn what amazes you and encourages you, God. And uh, we're uh, uh, lucky to find that really the uh, key ingredient is just recognizing who you are. Recognizing your power and believing that it still works today and still can be prevalent in our lives. And God, I pray that we can be a church and a fellowship that continues to pray big dreams, big prayers for you. 
know that you can do all things, and in time you will do many things if we don't give up faith. Love you very much, and uh, thank you so much for being our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.